The first reading is from Colossians 3, that's page 1184-1184. Colossians 3, starting to read at verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And the next reading is from Acts 16, which is page 1,112. Acts 16, starting to read at verse 20. They brought Paul and Silas before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowds joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. Thanks very much, Kate. Well, I was actually wondering whether I could get away with doing this little talk with a guitar around my neck, just to feel a little bit less exposed, a little bit less naked, but no, that would be weird. So um, I don't really know what to do with my hands, and um, where, where's John? John, what do you do? Do you like this? I don't know. We'll see. Um, no, but this is exciting. Um, excited to share some, some thoughts about uh, worship. Um, from this passage, but also um, just from what I believe God has put in my heart. Um, and so we are in this series, uh, have been in this series for three weeks. Um, it's called True Worship. Um, and I do hope that this series has somehow given us a broader view on what worship is. Um, so two weeks ago, Tim has mentioned that um, we often use this, this phrase, this, this word, worship, but what we actually mean most of the time is the singing at church. Um, but then last week we heard from Charles that worship is actually much more. It's a lifestyle. It's um, uh, our bodies offered to God as living sacrifices. Um, and so we begin to see how it's much broader and much more vast than we think. Um, and so this evening I just... I want to talk a little bit about this beautiful corporate expression that we call sung worship. Um, and this will be more of a thematic talk, so I won't be going through these passages word by word with uh, an exposition on that, but I will be drawing from them, um, So, just so you know that. I've got three points. I was told that every preacher has to do that. So here's my three. Um, first, I want to look at why is it that we sing? Secondly, why, no, secondly, I want to look at 
the different perspectives in sung worship. And then thirdly, I want to look at what motivates our worship, our sung worship. I came up with a statistic. If you are a regular at St. Michael's and you come to one service a week, you come to All Together Tuesday once a month, um, and one other midweek group, like home group, then on average you will spend 30 hours a year in sung worship. And that's a conservative estimate. So assuming that you don't go to any Christian conference in the summer, you don't go to any extra services at Christmas or Easter, and you don't worship on your own in your car when you're driving. So we do it quite a lot. The church has always been singing um, across history and, and across cultures. But why is that? So my first point, why is it that we sing? could give many biblical examples. Um, there's, for example, the, um, the Song of Miriam, after the Israelites passed through the, the Red Sea, and the Song of Celebration, of God's faithfulness. And um, there's this amazing story as well in, uh, in 2 Chronicles 20, um, to read it if you get a chance, where God is using the musicians and the singers to defeat a whole army. Um, Jesus himself sang a hymn after the Last Supper, um, and oh, there's this book called the Psalms, which contains 150 songs, poems. Um, however, these examples, they don't necessarily shine a light on why it is that there's music. So let's go right, at the, right, right back to the beginning. As Christians, we believe that God is the ultimate creator. He created the heavens and the earth, but then he had another idea. And this time, he took himself as a model, and he created us, human beings, you and me, and he created us according to his image. And so, like him, we have this ability and this instinct to create. We are also creators because we're made in the image of the ultimate creator. G.K. Chesterton writes, art is the signature of man. One might even say that art is what makes us human. But not only are we creative beings, we're also aesthetic beings. We know beauty when we see it, when we hear it. And so God did not, didn't just make us out of uh, and create an urge because he somehow had to, but he made the earth, he made us, and then he proclaimed it good. He said it was good. And when, as we look at creation, we see this goodness and we recognize it. And so God didn't just create a cosmic light switch that separates night from day. He created sunsets. Babies are not uh, grown on plantations, but he created sex. We see it in nature and we see it in other humans. God's creativity is not utilitarian. God didn't just think, right, how can we make this work? But he thought, how can we make this work beautifully? And so in our inclination to sing, the two come together. We are creators and we are aesthetics. And here are just two things that I think are so special about singing. Other than any art form, singing allows us to corporately engage in it. You don't need to bring your canvas or your hammer or whatever. You can just bring yourself with the instrument that God has created you with, your voice. 
and you can participate, and that's what we can all do, and that's what we did earlier, and that's what we're going to do again. Secondly, singing can have clear content. And so it is highly artistic, and yet it's not a case of, oh, whatever it means to you. No, we can let the word of Christ dwell in us richly by singing. Richly and not in some diluted way, not in some mysterious, arty way. No, we can really sing scripture, we can sing the words of Jesus, and we can remind ourselves of, of the history and all these things. But obviously we don't just sing at church. Um, what happens when your team wins the title? You sing. What happens when your country uh, is expressing its corporate identity? You sing. Um, what happens when you celebrate a birthday? You sing, and you probably sing the most well sung, most often sung song in the world, just after In Christ Alone. <laughs> right? <laughs> and so I think we sing because it's the highest form of expression and the most beautiful form of expression. Some things are just too special, too beautiful for them just to be said. It might help to think of a picture and a frame. A frame shows that the picture has a worth to us. It's valuable. And so think of Da Vinci's Mona Lisa, but as just a bare canvas, somehow leaned against a wall. Wouldn't that be inappropriate? It wouldn't really do justice to it, and we wouldn't, it would not be right. And so a frame shows that we care about the picture and it has value to us. And so in a similar way, I believe that the frame made out of melody, harmony, rhythm, and the fruit of lips that profess his name, as the writer of Hebrews says, that's an appropriate frame in the worship of God as we come here together as, as the church. It can serve as a frame for truth about God and an acted relationship with him. And so coming to our first passage, we see that singing is something that Paul also instructs us. Some of us might say, why do we always have to sing? It's also something that we're being instructed to. And it's amazing. <laughs> so what does that look like? Um, my second point, perspectives in our worship. Think of an old-fashioned signpost, like out of a Western film or something, with arrows pointing in different directions. So there's upward, sideward, and inward. Have you realized that um, there are these different perspectives? There's a parallel verse, actually, to this first reading we had. I want to read the, the verse from Ephesians 5, verse 19. Um, and you will recognize it's, it's very similar to uh, Colossians 3.16. This is Ephesians 5.19. And do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hang on, are we singing to one another or are we singing to God? There's several things going on here. So first, upward. We sing to God. And I think it's probably the perspectives that we are most used to. Key here, I think, is that we would see the songs as prayers to God. Our songs can be prayers. 
I want to draw here from um, the German language, which is my mother tongue. So um, I like to do that. In German, some of the words, they can be self-explanatory. So you'd get a word that is actually put together from two words and then makes more sense in that way. So some examples, <clears throat> Schlagzeug, Werkzeug, Spielzeug, Feuerzeug. Literally translated, these mean hit stuff, make stuff, play stuff, and fire stuff. And there are words for drum kit, uh, uh, tool, um, a toy, and the lighter. So in that way, if, if you want to explain to someone, oh, what does it do? Oh, it's the fire stuff. It, it makes the fire. That's, that's the lighter. And so I hear you ask, what's the German word for worship, right? That word is the word anbetung. Um, and it literally means to pray to. So we have an, which means towards or, or directed towards, almost like leaning against. And then the word betung, which comes from the word beten, which means to pray. And I would want to ask you, what makes our songs, which are directed to God, any less important, substantial, serious, or legitimate than our prayers? Is it just because they have this musical, aesthetic dimension to it? I've mentioned the Psalms earlier, and they could fill a whole sermon series um, in themselves. But I just want to point out two things from the Psalms. There's the rawness and the variety in the Psalms. John Calvin, the famous theologian, said that the Psalms are an anatomy of all parts of the soul. And so here we find praise, thanksgiving, but also many heartfelt prayers that are not happy-clappy at all. And this is where I believe, especially us here at St. Michael's, we can learn from the Psalms. At least one-third of the 150 Psalms contain lament. Lament is basically voicing our pain and frustration and, and our tough questions before God. Can I ask you, when was the last time that you wanted to do that, needed to do that? I can think of many times in my own life when, when I had to do that. And I think it's safe to say that the majority of our Western churches, we've forgotten how to do that. How can we incorporate that? It's just, we find that awkward. Um, but I just, I love the fact that we can, and our God, he... He's not disinterested in those parts of our lives. No, even Jesus on the cross, he quoted or he prayed with the words from Psalm 22, God, why have you forsaken me in this hour of deepest pain and darkness? And so we don't have to pretend, guys. We don't have to pretend. There is space for lament, frustration, sadness, questioning in our worship. Do we believe that? Are we ready for that? This is something that I'm keen to figure out. How can we incorporate these things, like lament and pain, into our worship? Something that I would like to work on with us. So if you have any ideas, please let me know. We're a family. We're in this together. Let's do it. Because it's so deeply biblical. Um, sideward, our next perspective. We sing to one another. There's two elements of that which I want to point out. There's teaching. So even, even if most of our songs, they do not sound like just words copied from a textbook, 
There's an element of teaching in every song. Even something as simple as hallelujah and bless your name or whatever. The songs we sing form and show our theology. The New Testament scholar Gordon Fee said, show me a church's songs and I'll show you their theology. We see this aspect also that the earliest hymns of the church, they're actually recorded in the New Testament. Passages like Philippians 2 and Colossians 1 widely seem to have been hymns and they contain some core teaching about Jesus. And I believe at St. Michael's we, we know that it matters what we sing and we, we value truth and, and that's great, that's a blessing. But can I also say, let's be careful not to fall down on the other side of the horse. I know from my own experience that it's possible to become too critical and, and eventually cynical about what it is we sing. So when we come on a Sunday and we, we see the words, do we only critically analyze them and try to pick holes in them? I wonder if sometimes God is saying, yeah, that's kind of not really true, but are you still going to worship me? Maybe with your own words, with your own prayers? Are you still going to engage with me? Let's not disengage and not lose perspective. Secondly, um, so there was teaching and edification as well. So edification means encouragement. Um, who sometimes comes to the morning service here? I know Charles does. Yes. Okay, a few people. Um, in the morning service, we have this amazing thing called all-age worship, which is so much fun. And we sing a song that's called Big Family of God. And in the chorus, the words are literally, it's you and you and you and you and you. God loves you. Um, we are a part of the big family of God. And then people point at one another, and it's great fun. And that is encouragement in worship and edification of, of God's church. And I think that's also spirit-filled worship because we see when we, when we study the, the spiritual gifts and it's given to edify the church. And so we can see that in our worship as well. And then we have this inward perspective. With that I mean worship that is impacting us and ourselves, involving ourselves. Because we know that worship is not about us, but yet we participate in it and therefore I also think we can benefit from it. And so sometimes, for example, we, we, we have this appealing to self. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Almost like giving yourself a little nudge, a reminder. But what I, what I wanted to mainly say is that there's also this element of transformation and encounter. We often sing songs to God, but they can also serve as a platform or a backdrop for encounter with God. Sometimes our worship may seem just like something to get through, like a conveyor belt, just a, two or three songs before or after the sermon, and then we do it and we tick it off. I think that would be a shame to look at it like that. Let's look at it like a space, a space in which we engage with God, we praise Him, we, we worship Him, but we also allow Him to engage with us. So this is a space for relationship to take place. And I believe we need to allow for space in our worship. Also, if we want to remain open for the Holy Spirit to move. So let's not rush. Let's not be scared of space or even silence. 
I wonder whether we can sometimes be so focused on our own agenda that we might be missing out on what God's agenda might be. Again, as with prayer, we need to learn how to listen. Are we good listeners? We've been exploring this a bit at Prayer and Praise, the um, worship evenings that we have about uh, every three months or so. And that's great, but let's not limit it to that. So we have upward, sideward, inward, three perspectives that show us where worship is operating and in what is going on, because it's quite a dynamic thing. In all of this, it's important, though, to never forget that it is God who is the receiver of our worship. And so while it may look like we sing to one another and we're appealing to ourselves, it's always God who is on the receiving end. And so lastly, um, I want to talk about motivation in our worship. We've seen how there can be different perspectives. As we sing, it's a very dynamic thing. But Paul is not just telling us to sing full stop. He writes, sing with gratitude in your hearts. In other words, don't just sing but actually mean it. Don't just sing but let it stand for something that's going on inside. He links the expression, which is thing, to the motivation, which is gratitude. So if you're taking notes, do write this down. Our worship needs to come from an inner motivation. Over the last 30 years or so, we've seen that musical worship has become quite a big thing, especially in evangelical circles, has become quite commercialized. Now you would find worship events or concerts selling out arenas and there's record labels and iTunes genres on worship. Um, and in themselves, these things are not necessarily bad. Like I know many bands or organizations, festivals, they have pure motives and they want to seek God's kingdom and they do great stuff and can yeah, reach loads of people for God. But it has definitely become easier than ever, I would say, for this self-focused, self-absorbed thing called consumerism to enter into our churches through worship. So we need to be very careful. Does that mean we can't buy the new Hillsong album? Does that mean we can't go to Big Church Day Out and have a great time? No. However, when it comes to us offering worship, we need to reject consumerism because it's simply not about us. For me, as a worship leader, that means I cannot think something like, oh, I'm going to choose this song because it's really going to get the people going and it's really going to do something. Or when I pick this particular hymn, then I know that old people are going to like it. It's, it's not about us and that shouldn't be the highest priority. As a congregation, that might, see, that might mean rejecting thoughts like, oh, the worship just wasn't really for me today. I didn't really feel like it. Or I can't worship to the organ, whatever that is. Just this idea of evaluating worship with those external measures. I think that's dangerous. Because if we take this consumerism to its natural conclusion, then we end up with worship that simply pleases us. The writer of Hebrews writes, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice 
of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. So what does the word sacrifice imply? Well, it's death. Whether this is our pride or our personal preference, Let me ask you this tonight, and I include myself in this. What is it that motivates your song worship? Is it maybe the band? Is it this particular song? Or is it just the fact that we always do this? We always come and that's just what we do. I wonder we are, whether we are sometimes more inclined towards occasional praise rather than sacrificial praise. Oh, this is a good occasion. It seems to align everything with, with my personal preference. So it's a good occasion for me to praise today. It works well. It's not difficult today. And I want to be completely honest. I felt very convicted as I wrote this. Because, yeah, I still sometimes see this or feel this. And this is where I want to draw from our second reading from the passage in Acts. Um, you may want to have it in front of you. This was Acts chapter 16, 25. Um, just want to read that verse one more time. So Paul and Silas, they were on their mission. And they've been out in the city and it wasn't very well received. There was a mob and they were beaten up. Ended up in jail. And then it says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And we know the story. There's this amazing miracle where they're freed and God intervenes. For Paul and Silas... This was not a good occasion. It was not at all. They had a rough day. They were beaten. They were probably still bleeding in chains. For me, this is just a prime example for true worship, apart from and in spite of external circumstances. How amazing would it be if we, instead of consumerism, had this sense of ownership in our worship? A sense of ownership that says, you know what, I had a really, really bad week. And yet, God, I'm going to praise you or just engage with you, seek you, be open for you. I'm not feeling it today, but yet I'm going to praise you. I don't like this tune, and yet I'm going to praise you. Because, God, you are still the same. That's the thing. He is always still worthy, and he's always the same. I love this, and yet. We see it many times in the Psalms. Most of the lament Psalms, it's this, when, when it turns to praise and to hope. But in order to be able to say this, our motivation for worship needs to come from the inside. Jesus said about the Pharisees, These people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. God is looking for heart worship rather than legalism. So maybe some of us need to ask God tonight to reassess our hearts. I don't know. Maybe. So we've seen how true worship needs internal motivations. Now on the back of that, let me just, before I close, just make two more practical 
at more applied points. Because um, maybe for you this all makes sense, but you wonder, well, how then should I engage with these external things? Where do they fit into the picture, the practical things? And that's the right question to ask. We are not Gnostic, as in we don't reject anything that is not spiritual. So let's not throw out the baby with the bathwater here. After all, in Psalm 150 it says, praise the Lord with the clashing cymbals and with the harp and with the strings. All of these external things, they, they have the part to play and they, they can. They're not bad in themselves. So we have to make sure that the external stuff actually aids our worship rather than distracting from it and taking away from it. The band has to be of a certain standard so that we can sing together, so that we can sing well. But maybe also to underline the tune or the sentiment of the song. We can use musical expression, I believe. And also we want to give our best. It's like we go up to the attic to find the best frame we have. Because we want to. It's this beautiful picture that captivates us. And so it's, surely it's our normal response to give our best. And, yeah. Of course it is also okay to enjoy some worship or a particular song. But when those things become our primary motivation, then we're missing the point and we're in danger of idolatry. So as we sing together, there's not just the songs or the instruments, but then there's also our very selves, us with our physical bodies. So I just want to briefly take this opportunity to um, talk a bit about physical expression in worship, because I believe that the, the aspect of motivation provides a very good framework for that. And hopefully this will help to demystify some of them as well, I don't know. And with outward expression, I'd always describe it as an outward manifestation of an inner reality. An outward manifestation of an inner reality. So there's just two things I would want to suggest. Be authentic and do what helps. Be authentic. God sees us who we really are and, and how we're really doing. There's no point in pretending. And so if raising your hands can serve as a natural expression for you reaching out to God and seeking God, then that's great. Equally, if the simple opening of your hands can express an inner posture of being open, then that's great. But also, if you just want to sit and reflect on the words, then that's fine as well. Be authentic. Reflection is part of our worship. We are called to love God with our heart, soul, with our mind, and with our strength. Secondly, do what helps. I think sometimes bodily gestures, they can help us to focus as well. If I struggle to engage, then I find it helpful to think I am more than just my mind. I am a body as well. So I may not feel like it, but I choose to stand up. I choose to sing. I choose, for example, to open my hands as a reminder that this is not about me. This is about God. An outward manifestation of an inner reality. So I want to come to a close. Why don't the band come up? We're going to sing. I've said some things. Hopefully they were 
one piece and not just <laughs> random thoughts here and there. But those were some, some things that I really feel, feel strongly about and I think they are in these passages as well and they're biblical. Singing is the highest form of expression. In a way, it's the most beautiful frame that we have in the house. And what a beautiful picture it is. Let's never forget that. This is what brings us here together. And so as we're about to sing in a moment, there are 10,000 reasons to praise God and to frame this picture, as it were. We sing to respond to God, to encourage one another and ourselves. Our sung worship is a platform for engaging with and encountering God. And then lastly, our sung worship, for it to carry any sort of substance, it must come from our hearts. Whether this is praise, thanksgiving, trusting, or crying out in pain, let's make sure it's coming from an internal place. And so as we sing these next few songs, maybe today could be the day where we say to God, I will worship you, come whatever may, with my deeds, but also with my words. So why don't we stand, and um, I'm going to pray, and then Gemma is going to lead us in this song. Be like Paul in this story, where even in the midst of circumstances and situations that go completely against the natural feeling for worshipping you. Even when our worship does not seem like it's a good occasion, would we still know that we can worship you and you call us to worship you? You are worthy in those moments. You are still worthy. So may our worship not be subject to external things that keep changing. But Lord, would we be deeply anchored in you with our lives, but also as we sing. Amen.